Sick Boy Wolfgang Productions presents The Offering with Jerry Horror. A deep dive into the history of film and its filmmakers. Mostly horror, always genre. eighties and nineties horror fans it is time to rejoice you've seen his work you're a fan of his art and now you can wear artist mark schoenbach's sadist art designs if you're a fan of cult classic horror you know his work you've seen it everywhere from the halloween franchise to pool party massacre whether it's at slashback video or mac and me you will recognize his distinct style instantly now check out his latest stock, including R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike-inspired merchandise. Visit sadistartdesigns.com and put some respect on your swag. Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts. And hey, stay up to date on future episodes. Ooh, yeah, dig it. This week on The Offering, we're talking all about No Holds Barred, the cult classic film starring Hulk Hogan. You better dig it. Offering. My name is Jerry Hara. How you doing? How's it been? Oh boy, what a summer. Oh. The worst part about summer is that it comes to the end. And it does, especially if you're a little kid. All you do is look forward to summer vacation all year, and then it has to wind down because all good things must come to an end. Now, there were always two hallmarks that summer was coming to its end. One of them was obviously the Video Music Awards. I knew that by the time MTV had aired the Video Music Awards that we were going to be going back to school sooner than later. But the other hallmark of knowing summer was ending was the annual WWF pay-per-view SummerSlam. That's right, I'm a fan of wrestling. I love it. Always have. I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather, uh, my great-grandfather was really into pro wrestling. He loved watching it. And it was one of those things where you had a lot of uh, immigrants that had come to the United States. They were pretty much marginalized. So every, every ethnicity had their own professional wrestler that represented them. And obviously here in New York, it was Bruno Sammartino. And that was a, a big part of going to see my great-grandfather and spending time on Sundays just watching hours of pro wrestling. Um, it had been ingrained in me at an early age. Uh, a big fan of Bruno San Martino was John Cena, Sr. John Cena, Sr. had always loved pro wrestling, and he basically imparted that onto his kids. You might have heard of his son, John Cena. Uh, John Cena is probably one of the greatest representatives of pro wrestling. Uh, he really is a nice guy. I've had the pleasure of getting to meet him at some charity events, and he really is uh, the closest thing to the walking embodiment of Captain America. 
He really is that nice. He's got a big heart. And shockingly, as time would tell, we got the film Trainwreck. Um, got the film, uh, what was it? Uh, Cockblockers. Yeah. That we got to see that John Cena had really good comedic timing and that he was funny. Early on, they tried to market John Cena in the Marine and 12 Rounds. Those were WWE films. They were like, hey, let's make him the new action guy. Let's, let's take him down the path of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But I think that everybody has their own signature style. And what works for someone else might not work for you. So it's important that you find your footing. John Cena has been in Bumblebee. He's been in Playing With Fire. He's been in a lot of different types of films where he's played roles that are aimed at kids, adults. And now it seems like we finally entered the real summer of Cena. We got to see John Cena so far this year in Fast 9, where he plays Dominic Toretto's brother. Uh, we're getting to see him again in August with Suicide Squad. And he has another movie coming out this summer called Vacation Buddies with Lil Rel Howard. And that's a comedy. So, I mean, hey, it took a lot longer than they thought it would. John Cena has always had the right personality and the magnetism of being a wrestling superstar. But now we have discovered that he is so much more than that. And he's really cementing his legacy as an actor, whether it be comedic or doing action. Just finished up with James Gunn doing Peacemaker. So his whole character got his own spinoff from Suicide Squad. I would say, arguably, John Cena is having a great year. Now, many years prior to this, the biggest wrestling superstar on the planet, the Babe Ruth of pro wrestling, was arguably Hulk Hogan. Now, you realize that Hulk Hogan was pretty much synonymous with everything going on in the 1980s. I mean, pro wrestling was just so hot and largely due to Hulk Hogan's star power. So it was only natural that Vince McMahon, wrestling impresario, would figure out a way to get Hulk Hogan into the movies. And guess what? They did. And the less said about that, the better. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're talking all about the 1989 cult classic, No Holds Barred, starring none other than the man himself, Hulk Hogan. summer of 1989 was a crazy time to be a little kid. You had a trifecta of exciting things in cinemas. You had Batman, probably the most eagerly awaited film in cinematic history for every child in the United States and worldwide. You had Ghostbusters 2, which was the return of our favorite Ghostbusters. At this point, the cartoon had been on, and it was synonymous with every child. Hey, our hero Indiana Jones returned for the last crusade and saved the day with his dad, Sean Connery. But what about the other films? What about 1989's No Holds Barred? That's right. Coming in at number two upon its release to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was No Holds Barred. But we need to step back first, Okay. This week, in honor of SummerSlam, which is one of my favorite WWE pay-per-views, 
we have to talk about the cult classic, No Holds Barred. Oh boy, we're in for it now, folks, because Jesus Christ, this is rough. So strap in, make sure you got some kind of an alcoholic beverage, you're going to need it, and uh, maybe some herbal remedy, because here we go. Hey, when are you looking for a little escape? Want to see something this is you don't see every day? Are you ready for a whole new Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan is ripped. To the world, he's a hero. But to this man, he's history. Zeus. Stand back. Way back. Get ready for the battle no ropes can hold. No ring. No referee. No rules. Gentlemen, it's time. No holds barred. This is an unprecedented display of strength and determination. There's no secret that Vince McMahon always wanted to make movies. If you watch the documentary Beyond the Mat, which was done in the late 90s, uh, he tells the interviewer, essentially what we're doing here at WWF, that time it was World Wrestling Federation, which is what I grew up with. He said, we're making movies. That's exactly what we're doing. And as you've seen the product change over time, if you grew up watching it in the 80s, the 90s, and especially now, it is very much so like a motion picture. Hulk Hogan had become one of the biggest stars in the 1980s. Uh, he was able to cross over in a way that no pro wrestler was before. Vince McMahon was buying up all of the small territories, all the way from California to New York, where his father had held court for almost damn near 50 years. It was no secret that Hulk Hogan had become probably the biggest star on the planet. At one point, the three most recognizable icons to children were Super Mario, Mickey Mouse, and Hulk Hogan. They were able to take all of this fame and leverage it in a way through media that had never, ever been possible. Like if you think back to the era of Bruno Sammartino and the wrestlers that my father and my grandfather grew up with, they never dreamed about this stuff. Because for so long, the wrestling business had been closely guarded in secrecy as to whether it was real or fake. And I think times were better. Um, around this era, wrestling was still pretty much kayfabe. Kayfabe standing for, uh, you know, kind of an inside term. Uh, when somebody would come over that was not smartened up to the business, the wrestlers would say kayfabe, kayfabe, which meant sell it as real. This is really happening. Good guys can't travel with bad guys. They can't be seen in the same steakhouse. They have to live the gimmick. And arguably, Terry Bollea from Florida had turned into Hulk Hogan. 
And I think that there's a point where every pro wrestler goes from being the person that they were to living their gimmick. And nobody lived their gimmick, except for maybe Macho Man Randy Savage. Nobody lived their gimmick more than Hulk Hogan. I don't know who Terry Bollea is. I've met Hulk Hogan a couple of times, and he's a really nice man. He's very kind. He's very patient. He's a big dude. But he is Hulk Hogan. Whoever Terry Bollea is, the Clark Kent to his Superman is long dead. Uh, We got to see things in the 80s. Oh, it was crazy. The rollout of LJN's toys, the wrestling superstars figures, uh, Hulk Hogan's rock and roll, uh, the cartoon that was on CBS. Um, You had Hulk Hogan vitamins, weight sets, and he was telling you, you got to train hard, say your prayers, and take your vitamins. There was nothing more American than Hulk Hogan. I mean... Really, it was the rise of President Reagan, um, G.I. Joe. There was a lot of anti-Cold War sentiment at that point in history. So, with characters like Sergeant Slaughter, and obviously his influence with G.I. Joe, uh, there was nothing more popular than basically being an American hero. And even Hulk Hogan's own theme song, he told you, you know, Rick Springfield... I am a real American. And it was a rallying cry. In fact, I mean, Vince McMahon Sr. had fired Hulk Hogan. He basically said, look, if you go do Rocky III, it's going to expose the business. And I can't have you working in the New York Territory. Now, this was, this was Vinnie Mac Sr. Hulk Hogan knew that marketing movies were important. So he went uh, in 82 and he did Rocky III. And since then, what he did was after he went back to pro wrestling, it made him a bigger star than ever because now it wasn't just about being seen on local television networks and, you know, syndicated series that were aired in only certain parts of the country. He was able to see people on a big, gigantic silver screen the world over. Nobody knew who Hulk Hogan was, but after Rocky III, they sure did. Even after the movie dropped, he used to go out to the ring um, to Eye of the Tiger. That was basically his, his theme music. Well, Vince McMahon Jr. realized the power of Hulk Hogan. And he said, if, if we could just market this guy the right way, we could, we could make money to the moon and back. And he was right. I mean, it even got to the point where you had Hulk Hogan, and uh, this is before Dwayne Johnson or John Cena, Hulk Hogan was the first wrestler to ever host Saturday Night Live with uh, Mr. T. And Hulk Hogan was everywhere. I mean, he was on, you know, Good Morning America. Anywhere that he could possibly be seen telling people to, you know, train, say their prayers, and eat their vitamins, the little Hulkamaniacs could be just like him. Now, as we got into the the later part of the 80s, let's go into like 87. That's about where we are to catch you up, to bring you into this story. Basically, what happens is there's nothing bigger at this point in the 80s than making a movie. So, you know, Hulk Hogan starts saying to Vince McMahon, you know, brother, we, uh, we really need to start making a movie. I think that's the way that we can reach the people. And Vince McMahon was like, yeah, absolutely. We, we need to make this happen. Uh, 
So it had always been on the back burner. And they were just making so much money. I mean, you'd had WrestleMania. Then you had WrestleMania 2. Then WrestleMania 3, Hulk Hogan slams Andre the Giant, arguably cementing him as the biggest wrestling superstar in the world. So here we are at 87. 88 comes around and they say, look, we, you know, Hulk Hogan wants to spend more time with his family, wants to wind down a little bit because he's been running, running so hard for so long. Uh, Hulk Hogan famously used to have to get brand new belts every four weeks because he would sweat through these championship belts and he was living the gimmick. Like, you know, some guys would just take the belt, the championship strap, and they would put it in their, their suitcase and, you know, go to the airport. Not Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan wore the belt around his waist on his flights that were transatlantic. <laughs> so he would sweat through these. Um, this was also more of a time of innocence because later in the 90s, in the early 90s, uh, all these guys would get popped on steroid scandals. And there'll be more about that later, but let's rewind a little bit. So around 87, 88, this guy uh, called the Ultimate Warrior arrives. And Vince sees an opportunity. He knows that Hulk Hogan won't last forever. He, he knows, even though he loves the guy and they have a relationship where they're like brothers, which kind of taught Vince a lesson as far as how close you should keep these people. And are they really employees? Are they your partner? Who knows? But once the Ultimate Warrior came onto the scene... He figures, all right, this is it. This is the guy. We're going to put the belt on Ultimate Warrior, and then we're going to go shoot a movie and let Ultimate Warrior take the Hogan spot, get all the young fans, uh, start doing the television commercials and everything that Hulk is doing, and we can go off and make this movie. So this is where this brings us to the script, and it was always called No Holds Barred. And the concept that Vince and Hulk Hogan had was, it's got to be realer than real, brother. Got to be real. We got we to gotta do something that we can't do on television. So Vince said, that's it. That's it, Hogan. No holds barred. That's right, because you, you can't see this on a pay-per-view. This is, this is real life. It's for real. So the original... Um, conceit of the movie was basically like blood sport with pro wrestling. And they said, okay, yeah, this is it. Like, what if we put Hulk Hogan in a movie where there's absolutely no rules and no holes barred? It's funny just saying it. Somebody needs to do that porn parody. No holes barred. Just saying. Just putting it out there. Um, it's in the ether now. It's going to happen. So... Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon basically start talking to movie studios and they learn that nobody wants anything to do with their dopey wrestling and it's kind of frowned upon. And they said, well, that works in a wrestling ring, but it'll never work as a movie, never work as a feature film. So they kept trying and try as they might, they came along a company called New Line Cinema. New Line Cinema at this time had experienced great success with the Nightmare on Elm Street fan franchise and Critters, and they were really tapped into what was cool with young people. So New Line said, hey, look, we don't care what you do. You basically have to finance it. Uh, if it comes in under budget, we'll help you with the marketing and we'll distribute it. 
So that was good enough because they had a huge distribution arm as far as um, feature films were concerned. And Vince knew enough people on a global scale that they could sell the film overseas. So yeah, this was a partnership that would work. The only problem? They did not have a screenplay. So, <laughs> that brings us to uh, where we last left off. Um, they decided we need uh, a guy who's going to bring this in and it'll work cheap. Now, this movie was written by Dennis Hacken, who I didn't think was a real person, but I did some research. Um, one of the biggest movies this guy ever wrote was uh, Clint Eastwood's Bronco Billy. Uh, it's an older film if you don't remember it. Basically, Dennis Hacken had written a lot of uh, older westerns. Older westerns throughout the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, now, might be hearsay, might not be, but a lot of people said he was just a washed-up drunk at this point. But he was in the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America, and that was good enough and official. It was a real silver screen writer. A guy, hey, hey, brother, he wrote a, he wrote a Clint Eastwood movie. I, Clint e I like Clint Eastwood, don't you, Vince? Okay, well, he can write it. So basically, Dennis Hacken writes this script, and it sucks. Okay, like, look, we're, we're going to be perfectly honest. It is, it is not a good script. Or was it? We don't know. But apparently it was not up to snuff with Hogan and um, Vince McMahon's, you know, they, they basically had a vision for this movie. So Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, they're training every night. They're training every night together. And he and Vince are having beers after they work out, which I can't imagine is a good idea. And uh, Vince McMahon called those his heart attack beers. Because after you worked out, if you had a beer and drank it real quickly, it would get you super fucked up. Don't do this stuff at home, kids. Please don't try this at home. Um, so wouldn't you know it, Hulk Hogan says, you know what, brother? Why don't we write it ourselves? So, basically... And this is this is this is all based on legend. Uh, Hogan and McMahon they decided we're going to check into a hotel in Reddington Beach, Florida, and stayed up for seventy-two hours straight rewriting the script together. Now, some people will tell you there was a magic ingredient to all of this, and other people will not. But I'm going to confirm that I think there was a magic ingredient, and that magic ingredient was cocaine, pure Colombian cocaine. Because the screenplay that these two eventually worked out uh, and, and rewrote... Now, even though uh, Dennis Hacken is quoted, uh, credited as this, writing the screenplay, a lot of the magic on the page is credited to this 72-hour binge of Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon writing the screenplay. Uh, so they were happy with it. New Line said, hey, go shoot it. New Line really didn't care. At that point, they were just like, look, you're paying to make the movie yourself. You know, make it work. Um, pretty much the secret for this movie was, if we're going to sell this movie, we need to find an opponent. And, oh, they did. In Tom Lister Jr., better known as Tiny Zeus Lister. This is where he gets his name. Um, he basically... What Vince McMahon said to himself, he's like, we need a guy who's as big as Hogan and scary looking. Um, Tiny Lister, 
he had played some uh, professional football. He was on a TV show on HBO at that time called First and Ten. And he, as a child, had been born with a dead eye that was uh, disattached from its retina. This is kind of cloudy and white looking. So obviously this guy was really scary. Now, they looked at about 2,000 people. But what Tiny Lister did at that point, he was about 285. He uh, baby oiled himself up, did about 100 push-ups. Um, and he went into the audition and started flipping tables and growling. Also, he was about 6'2", I believe. He's about almost the same height as Hulk Hogan, exactly. So what he did was he put lifts in his shoes to bring him up to about 6'4". So when they initially saw him, they said, wow, he's, he's 6'4". He's even bigger than Hogan. And that was kind of a genius thing. So, I mean, one thing that we learned from this is that Tiny Zeus Lister knew how to market himself. Um, really, the secret in the sauce, too, was that Vince McMahon was going to reverse engineer this character of Zeus and basically take an actor and turn him into a pro wrestler. More on that later. Why that did or didn't work for the, the most part is, well, whatever. So you'd say to yourself, we've got Hulk Hogan, one of the most noticeably... Uh, prevalent faces within pop culture. Oh boy, here we go, folks. This is mistake number one. They decide that they're going to create a new character. Uh, his name's going to be Rip. Yeah, yeah, his name's going to be Rip. So uh, they decide that Rip is going to be a professional wrestler and he's going to wear blue and white. Why the hell would you do that? Why would you take one of the most noticeable people on the entire planet and then make them into Rip Thomas, a completely different character? Um, it, it just, it, it astounds me. It, like, there's not a lot you have to get right with this movie, but yeah. And, and the opening of the movie, he's wrestling some jabroni. It's, it's terrible. Hey, but Mean Gene's there and Jesse Ventura at a commentary. So that, that's something. It's, uh, the WWF is never mentioned in this movie. The entire plot. Let me just give you a little plot synopsis. If you've never heard of No Hole, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you know what this film is, but just giving you a little plot synopsis, Rip Thomas is this big wrestling hero and there's an evil corporation. It's supposed to be loosely based on Ted Turner, who owns TNT and TBS, who would later buy WCW. It's funny how art imitates life and vice versa. So this evil television executive who's played by Kurt Fuller in the movie, he's fantastic. He's like, he's one of those guys, like he's in Ghostbusters too. This is a big summer for uh, Kurt Fuller. Um, he's just a perfect, slimy, corporate scumbag. He plays it to the T. He basically wants Hulk Hogan to sign with his network because... Uh, Rip Thomas is the biggest wrestler in the world. Really, I mean, there's not a lot of plot here. So what they decide to do is they get their Hulk Hogan, excuse me, Rip Thomas, rip him, rip him. And that's his tagline, rip him. That's right, kids. I, I, I want to make sure that you're, you're able to understand how ridiculous all of this is. Rip Thomas, rip, rip him, Thomas. Just think about that for a moment. Uh, meditate on it. 
So they decide, hey, the ingenious idea with this film is that we're going to lure Rip Thomas into a match with Zeus. So what do they do? They go after Rip Thomas's brother and they, they kidnap him. And uh, that's, that's the way they lure him into this match. And that's it. That, then, then he fights Zeus and uh, he wins. The end. That's it. All right. This has been the offering. No. <laughs> I mean, look, you didn't come here for story. You came here for the story behind the story because the making of this film is absolutely batshit crazy. When they were filming one of the early montage scenes, because a lot of this was shot in Florida because Hogan pretty much is like the governor. of He's the unofficial... Hulk Hogan is the unofficial president of Florida. They were filming a scene where he's on a motorcycle. It's in the movie. You can watch it. It's one of the first scenes in the movie. For whatever reason, and they don't know why, some guy picks up a chocolate lab and just throw, <laughs> throws the chocolate Labrador into the, the river. And it just... It doesn't look like, hey, I'm playing with my dog. It looks like some guy's just abandoning his dog. We still don't know what that was all about, but it's in the movie. Watch it. It's there. It's really disturbing. We'll be right back with more of The Offering with Jerry Horror. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Horror. Got a question or a story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. There was a rumor for a long time. There's there's a midget wrestler, there's a little person, and supposedly that young midget wrestler was play, played by Peter Dinklage. Uh, eventually, this was re, re, refuted, and uh, it was confirmed that the short little headbanger in the cage was played by a little person named Rick Allen. So, in case you were some thirsty fan of Peter Dinklage... Hoping that you're like, oh wow, this is Peter is Peter Dinklage's first appearance, and no holds, but nope. Sorry, folks, uh, that is not true. Uh, who the person who did have their first appearance in this movie was Marcus Buff Bagwell, WCW wrestler. Also, he now, if you have enough money, uh, you can buy Buff Bagwell. He's a, a call girl or a man of the night. I don't know how that's, but yeah, if you go to Vegas and you got a couple of bucks in your pocket, you can rent uh, Marcus Buff Bagwell. He's seen as an extra in the background in several scenes. Isn't this a lovely film? It really is. Um, yeah, this is really a rough one. I mean, there's, there's no way to make it out of this entire movie unscathed. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous and preposterous from front to back, but I have to say, as far as Guilty Pleasures, it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, the problem that they had was like, nobody wanted to be in this movie because everybody was like, oh, it's a Hulk Hogan movie. And even though Hulk Hogan had been the biggest darling from like 1983 to 1987, there was some kind of a stink of pro wrestling that people just did not want to get on them. You know, they, they just didn't want to um, be involved with it. Um, the movie 
estimated, roughly estimated, because again, Vince McMahon was paying for this movie out of his own pocket. New Line didn't, it was kind of a, a negative pickup deal. New Line was going to distribute it either way. Uh, supposedly, the budget for this movie was $8 million. Um, I, I don't know where it was spent. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, okay, that checks out. Joan Severance played the love interest, uh, Samantha Moore. And there are some really upsetting scenes in this film. Um, it, it It's kind of one of these things, like, no matter how much I tell you, none of it makes any sense. So they have to share a room together, even though they're not together. And you hear Hulk Hogan grunting uh, because they put up a, a, a sheet as a divider in the room. And you hear Hulk Hogan panting and grunting. He's like, oh, oh. And then she, you know, lifts the sheet and much to our surprise, he's not furiously masturbating. He's doing sit-ups. But everything about this movie is just cringy and uncomfortable. And that basically, I got to tell you, I know that this might not be your, your cup of tea. It might not be your bag. You might not even like wrestling. But Jesus Christ, please rent or watch this movie because I promise you, uh, under the right influence and circumstances, it will be the greatest film you've ever seen. It, it, it It's a really tight 90-minute movie. There's not a lot to it. I mean, if I was going to recount and go through the synopsis again, they're really, uh, again, there's just, just not much. They couldn't get anybody to be in this movie. Even though Vince had his checkbook open, it was hard getting like actual known actors and stars. Um they they really tried as much as they could to market the film um, as the biggest thing ever on their programs, whether it was, uh, you know, WWF superstars. And as a young, impressionable kid, um, if you were watching pro wrestling at that time, they were marketing, you know, like you were seeing three trailers every, every episode. So you thought as a kid, ostensibly, this is the biggest movie ever made. Um, Unfortunately, the basically the movie comes out, comes in number two uh, to Indiana Jones, which, you know what? Hey, it, not bad. Number two isn't bad. That's, that's fine. Uh, the movie ends up going on to make $16 million. So they doubled the budget. Um, and no matter what they say, like, I don't know how much they actually threw into advertising. I think a lot of this... Um, really was was just out of Vince's checkbook. Uh, and he was later quoted as saying, no holds barred, should have been called no profits made. And that pretty much sums it up. Uh, they realized, though, with the burgeoning uh, VHS market that this film, the real money to be made, was on VHS. This film was released on VHS, Betamax, and Laserdisc. And let me tell you something, brother. This movie cleaned up on VHS. They easily, um, behind Nightmare on Elm Street 3, it was one of the most rented and requested VHS tapes that New Line ever put out uh, in the year of 1987 when they initially signed on to buy the film. Um, excuse me. Dream Warriors came out in 87. This came out in 89, but they said in their catalog that this was the second most requested title in that time period, which I kind of find hard to believe, but 
you know what? It is what it is. Now, they tried. Um, they basically did this thing called No Holds Barred, The Match, The Movie, which was their genius idea uh, in September 27th of 1989, where the event was billed as, we're going to show a match and a movie. Uh, the match was not very good, essentially. Um, obviously, Zeus is the bad guy. He he was not a good wrestler. He was really bad at wrestling. So they, they teamed him up with Randy Savage. And then Hulk Hogan teamed up with Brutus Beefcake. And uh, obviously, Hulk Hogan won. Uh, they eventually had him in, in an eight-man tag team match. Uh, originally, the plan was that they were going to have uh, Hulk Hogan and Zeus wrestle. They would release the movie, which is summer of 1989, and then the following WrestleMania was going to be Hulk Hogan versus Zeus. But obviously that didn't happen. Um, look, it, even later down the road, as we get into the late 90s, they did bring back Tiny Lister and he was... They couldn't call him Zeus because Zeus is owned by WWF, but they called him the Z-Man. And he, yeah, he fought alongside Hulk Hogan. The reality of it was, was that Tiny Lister wasn't, a, he, he had charisma and there was something about him. But at that time, he just wasn't able to, you know, cut promos. He wasn't developed enough as an actor. So that really didn't work. And then the worst part about it was that he couldn't wrestle. No matter how much they they tried, they they just could not teach Zeus how to properly wrestle. And this is where it gets even weirder. So at this time, uh, it was basically... We find out in the 90s that a lot of the heavy steroid usage started on the set of this film. Um, at this point... Vince McMahon, Hulk Hogan, they're thick as thieves. And uh, Vince McMahon's looking to improve his physique, and Hulk Hogan needs to look good for the silver screen. So they start doing copious amounts of steroids <laughs> in preparation for this film. Vince just doing it for his ego. Um, at this point, too, they said, hey, uh, Hulk Hogan is starting to look bigger than Zeus. So... God rest his soul, he's no longer with us, but tiny Zeus Lister then decided to go on a cycle. When he started the movie, he came in at about 280 pounds. When they were shooting the movie, he had about two or three months, he weighed 305 pounds. So, again, this movie is just the weirdest hodgepodge of events. I don't even know what could be said for the legacy of this film. Ultimately, though... It did pretty well. It was a hit on pay-per-view. It was a hit on home video, but it's largely forgotten. I went to this kid's birthday party to see this movie. Uh, I don't even remember the kid's name. He's some dickhead. And uh, we got to see this movie. And I was probably, huh, it was probably about eight or nine when I saw it. And I thought it was a great movie. I was so excited to see my hero, Hulk Hogan, on the silver screen. And it did deliver on that, that it took one of your favorite pro wrestlers and ostensibly made him a movie star, sort of. Uh, New Line Cinema, even though they made money off of this and saw some of it as a loss, 
They would later cast Hulk Hogan in another movie called Suburban Commando. Um, Hulk Hogan never really broke through uh, the way that Dwayne Johnson did. And it's unfair to compare the two because Hulk Hogan didn't have much range. He's very good at playing Hulk Hogan. Whereas Dwayne Johnson is good at playing The Rock, but he has, uh, you know, comedic timing. He has a lot more going for him, and that's why he's become one of the biggest stars in the world. It's unfair to even compare John Cena to Hulk Hogan, because John Cena is just a consummate professional, and he's an entertainer, and as I've said before, he's got fantastic comedic timing. You could probably make a drinking game out of uh, No Holds Barred. It's, it's a strange relic. But if you want to dig up 1989 and, and kind of, you know, see what it was like, this, this pretty much sums it up. I think that they missed a lot of opportunities. The first opportunity was he should not have been Rip Thomas. He should have just been Hulk Hogan. I think that would have worked better. Uh, kids like me, even though like you see in bit roles, people like Paul Orndorff, who recently, Mr. Wonderful, passed away and you saw Jesse Ventura, um... In these side supporting roles, you really just needed to have it be the WWF, and then he's going over to the evil competition. Um, it's funny because the way the movie is advertised, it says, uh, no ref. You see in the thing, they throw the ref right out of the ring. It says, no ring. They're in a ring. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? No rules. Okay, there's no rules, but there certainly was a ref there. <laughs> there was a ring. I don't know. I mean, hey, it, it works. But I think what they had advertised, what they had promised people was basically blood sport with pro wrestling. And that's not what this movie was. Um, unfortunately, there were elements of the screenplay initially that Dennis Hacken had written into it um, that had Hulk Hogan more as a, a hard drinking bruiser and bar brawler. The movie resembled a little bit more Roadhouse and a little less Hulk Hogan. So I think in a lot of the rewrites, they were like, well, we need to make a movie. And at that point, um, PG-13 hadn't become the catch-all. So they were kind of like in a weird place where they're like, ooh, but it'll alienate, it'll alienate our core fan base. So when it comes down to it, no Holds Barred wouldn't be PG-13. It wouldn't be R. It was a PG movie. Now, how do you have a movie about pro wrestling with no rules and it's rated PG? Well, the Motion Picture Association strikes again, folks. Uh, the MPAA had decided that a lot of the violence in the movie had to be cut down. Um, and they submitted this movie, I think, about seven times to the MPAA. The reality of it at the end of the day was Hulk Hogan's a hero to children. We can't show him doing these violent things. But the MPAA didn't realize the reason children like this guy is because he does do a lot of violent things. You, you, you know, wrestling is a very cathartic thing. You might not be able to beat up your boss or your bully, but Hulk Hogan will do it for you. And if you act now in pay-per-view for $39.95, he'll do it even sooner. Look, I don't know what the lesson is. Maybe it's that we should have just let Hulk Hogan be Hulk Hogan in this film. That that seems to be the the rub. I can't I can't seem to get any. I've tried, and no matter how hard you try, you won't be able to figure it out. Um, 
this was what we had as kids, you know? Um, but it's like, it's like, uh, Hulk Hogan had to walk so the rock could run, you know, it's somebody had to take these hits. And I think we learned that, yeah, Hulk Hogan is a really cool in a supporting role, but he really can't carry a movie. In fact, Hulk Hogan's really good at stealing, uh, stealing scenes. A year later, um, he would be in Gremlins 2. And in Gremlins 2, he basically uh, tells the, th the theater owner and those gremlins, they better stop messing with the projector. And I think that's what we had to learn was that this on-screen character who had also become a cartoon character and an action figure had limitations. And ultimately, no holds barred, no holds barred's Wow, this is a tough one, folks. No holds Bard's reputation and legacy ultimately is that there is a limit and a range that, whole, that even the mighty Hulk Hogan cannot conquer. So it was definitely a blow to his ego and it was a blow to Vince McMahon's ego, even though the movie made money. Just not enough money for them to do a sequel. Uh, Tiny Zeus Lister, who unfortunately has passed away, went on to star in the Friday films. Uh, he, he basically was in the Dark Knight. He was in everything. So if anything, the real legacy of this film is that it gave the world Tiny Zeus Lister. And no matter what, he even said, I watched an interview with him that was done a few years ago. And he said, people still come up to me. He goes, I ha I, everybody calls me Zeus because everybody grew up uh, with him as this character. And I think that's a testament to Mr. Lister, you know? That sounds weird too. Mr. Lister. That's a good horror villain. Write that one down. Did you like No Holds Barred? Did you grow up with it? Are you going to watch it just based upon my ridiculous uh, recommendation? Are you a fan of wrestling? Did you turn this podcast off 45 minutes ago because you said, what the hell is a guy named Jerry Hara doing talking about wrestling? That's my business, brother, and I enjoy wrestling like it's nobody's business. You can get all up in my business on social media. I'm at Jerry Hara. Talk to me. We can talk wrestling. I like me some wrestling. You know that. Uh, don't forget we're on YouTube. Hey, maybe there's an episode you missed. I also do short reviews. You want to learn about stuff? You want to see me do things? I don't know. You see what you do. You know, you go, you take a look. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been The Offering. I'm Jerry Hara, and I have to say to you folks, uh, hey. <laughs> Look, if you don't, if you don't have some, <laughs> and, and you know what, uh, Producer Pete, please leave this in, because I just can't stick the landing. If <laughs> Don't go to sleep if you don't have something worth dreaming about. Dig it, brother. Ooh, yeah. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. I'm very sorry. Produced by Pete Bune. If you have a question or a story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offering.
I'm Tom. My partner Mike and I have been friends and co-workers for a long time. And at work, we're known for our daily water cooler conversations about TV shows and movies we are currently watching. Whether we're arguing over which Marvel TV show is the best or agreeing about which Netflix original movie is the worst. The pop culture conversation is always popping on Two Brothers at a Water Cooler. You can listen to Two Brothers at a Water Cooler on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe and share today. This has been a Sick Boy Wolfgang production. Thank you for listening.